EGCE Research Bites, student teacher research from the team behind Emma and Tom Talk Teaching. Hello and welcome. Um, I'm James Snook, uh, Senior Lecturer in Professional Learning and Teacher Education. And we're joined today uh, with Rodri Lewis, um, who's going to talk us through some of the aspects of his assignment one in terms of his, his thinking, the research and the process. Um, so welcome, Rodri. Thank you so much for, for agreeing to take part. I've got a few questions that I'd like to ask you, if that's OK. Mm -hmm. um, so let's start, start thinking about like refining your topic. So you were working with your lead practice school in terms of your assignment and you were asked to think about sort of a broad topic, um, a broad topic that they provided, but then you had to sort of funnel it down. So what was your broad topic and how did you go through that process of focusing it down, making it more manageable, more specific? I think initially it started off the, on our first day, all the PGC students, we were brought into a room, we had like a whole half hour session with our research champion and he outlined these three broad areas. They corresponded to things like learning, well-being, and I think the third one was kind of like pupil voice. And those are kind of like the three areas they kind of like wanted to work in. And they are really broad, like, they, you know, they're only like one or two words. You can take it almost anywhere. And I think they did provide some more scaffolding for those things. It wasn't just like the one word title, pick anything you want in it. So I think even for well-being, they were like consider pupil well-being or staff well-being, or even one of them was like the well-being of the governing body, which I think is quite hard to find like research literature on. But, you know, there's kind of like these all different areas. That so was kind of exciting. It took me a very long time to narrow down a topic, maybe a couple of months even. It went through a very long kind of phase. I went through several phases where I suggested a topic, thought about it, considered it. You know, I spoke to like mentors and stuff. Um, so what they thought about it, it didn't really work, revised it. I started off looking at things like pupil data and it's just it was just getting really complicated. And I think what it really fetched it down to was one session I had with my subject mentor in school. And she was like, have you picked an assignment one focus? It's like, and also I was very aware there's a time pressure, like a need for like a title to come up with. And where it came down to then is it came down to, I need to come up with a title. Have you any suggestions for me? What kind of aspects would you do if I want to do something with a bit of data type, kind of query stuff, but also something perhaps that isn't solely kind of about pupil data, something that's kind of more on the learning side of these three topics. And she suggested I have a look at the faculty improvement plan. So in my lead practice school, they run it as like a faculty of science and technology. Um, and every year they produce a substantial, I was really surprised by how huge this document was, of a learning plan of about, you know, it's, it's almost like 20 pages. It's like quite dense text of all these areas they'd identified they really wanted to improve upon. Um, and at this point, I was like, I, I just felt that not only do I want something that's useful for me, I want something that's useful for them. Because I'm very aware that you know I'm, I'm there, I want to be helpful to them. I'm using some of their time. They're putting a lot of effort into you know, working with us. So it'd be really nice to do something that also was useful for them. So it's like the faculty improvement plan's quite useful. So yeah, I, I emailed off the head of the faculty. He sent me back the plan. And I just literally started working through it. And although the plan's like a yearly kind of plan, I mean, some of the things in it would take you several years to implement. You, you couldn't prove you'd done them over the course of just one year. Um, and somewhere halfway down, I think, maybe not as far as page 16, because a lot of them were in progress. So it's like, I, I, there's no point me doing one that they've already started. Do something that's, you know, they haven't worked on yet. Something where perhaps looking at the literature is of some benefit to them. And then just far enough down that, I came across one. It was about developing target setting, 
with GCSE learners. And I say, I, I, I interpreted it wrongly the first couple of times I read it. I had to go back to my subject mentor, ask them like some clarification where they kind of were taking this, what, what was their idea with this. Um, and they were very helpful. They give lots of useful advice on what the underlying kind of like what they were hoping to get from it. Um, not just like the statement, which was quite precise, but it, it kind of, it lacked enough context. And it basically, I think it boiled down to the idea that these are learners. We kind of want them to take more kind of self-responsibility for their learning. There's obviously a lot of research that suggests that them adopting, kind of internalising and being self-motivated about their own learning is actually really helpful and beneficial for them. But this was kind of slightly different. It wasn't just solely about kind of like their own internal benefits. It was almost kind of how do we persuade them to decide what kind of GCSE level they're going to work to, set that as a target, and then how do we kind of persuade them to work to that target? And particularly given, I mean, there's been a coronavirus like pandemic worldwide. Um, learners have been out of school for a long time. They don't have a lot of time to like perform reflection on their own work. Um, and many, like if you start with like your year nine or year 10 class, they perhaps have only had like one full year in secondary school. So they haven't really had kind of much responsibility kind of like for assessing their own learning, particularly for a long time. And it would be really nice to kind of, how can we try and persuade them to step on board with it? I mean, when I watched um, a parent's evening, um, it was very apparent that when they get to like year 11, it suddenly dawns on them, they've got like exams and stuff coming up. And at this point, they're very aware of kind of like where they are where they need to get to, it suddenly dawns on them that they aren't working necessarily at the grade they need to get to, um, to continue with what they want to do in future. And they're very honest and self-reflective at this point. So I think a lot of this was about how do you start that process earlier? If you can get them on this idea that they should reflect of where they are and get them to appreciate and then change their own like learning in order to do better and effectively get better target grades that would be kind of a beneficial approach. If you start nice and early on this pathway and get them to the kind of reflective moment they have at the parents' evening when they're kind of honest with their parents about like how much effort they've put in revising and such like. So there's, there's a few elements there in terms of thinking about that reflective element, but also that motivational element in terms of if you start early enough, they're building towards that and they're getting into dispositions. And sometimes that could be a problem, I suppose, when we're thinking about like short scale, small scale research, it's very difficult to show sort of like behavioral change over a short period of time. Exactly. But you suggest perhaps implementing it earlier. Yes, and it was kind of like, how can you just take them on this journey along this pathway from like the very beginning how they're going to set some targets, then they're going to attempt to change their behaviour in order to meet those targets, and can they sustain this over the course of a GCSE and improve their results? Oh, that's, so that's great. kind of the area it was kind of working. It's kind of very niche from learning, but I mean, it was kind of it is possible to focus it down. It went through like several stages. It's like learn, learning, learners leading learning because they're kind of taking more kind of responsibility for where they need to go, and then finally down to this kind of narrow question on developing a method. So there was that element of sort of scaffolding them to go through that process initially, uh, scaffolding them to think about their own learning, and then perhaps slowly over time sort of taking away that scaffolding so they become more independent. Very much so. And that's many of the, like, the findings I found from my research, is that many of these processes, you, you heavily scaffold them at the very beginning. You give them lots of their own kind of like, you set perhaps a target grade, they attempt to do some kind of goal setting within that target grade, identifying things they can actually do 
in the classroom that will get them to that target grade. So if they're noticeably weaker at like mathematics questions in like science, I'm a biologist, so science is like where I'm looking at it from. If they're noticeably weaker in maths, you might start off by giving the class a whole kind of like, particularly it's everyone in the class, this kind of basic goal. You're going to do some maths questions like this and you're going to improve your maths or you're going to learn, you know, specific techniques on like the calculator and stuff and attempt to like rearrange equations. And you start off with this very basic kind of scaffold to it. And you might set that for a whole class rather than just individual learners. But slowly as they kind of progress over this process, you remove the scaffolding. You then get them to take more responsibility over setting their individual learning goals, their individual little achievements, in order then to reach the next level. And the idea is that you give them several of these learning goals, and if they complete all of these successfully and improve to kind of like a mastery kind of level over each task, hopefully over the course of the whole thing, they'll then meet their next target level. And you spend time, I mean, it will take, you have to set aside some sessions in your lessons to do so. You have to set aside perhaps an hour, a half term at most, I think would be, I mean, it's difficult to really spare the time. Everyone feels there's a lot of time pressure. Um, but maybe, yeah, one hour with the entire class over a half term, or perhaps if you are pushed for time, over a whole term. And literally, they just, in that session, they set out where they want to go to. You don't assign a target grade to them. You have to take responsibility for the target grades. But you work with them almost like a one-to-one basis to go, where are you now? What grade do you think you can get? And if over the course of like a GCSE, and you do it, say, you set these targets once a term, you know, you can move up several grades. It's, it's not, if you were initially entered at like a G, you could probably get to at least a C from like this kind of, you don't want to have it like artificially constrained by time. Could you, could you tell us a little bit about the, the research that underpinned this, the six sort of key core pieces of research that underpinned, you know, your ideas around this uh, piece of work? Yes, I mean, uh, the assignment is kind of um, quite tight in that it required relatively recent and modern literature rather than, you know, classic pieces of like work from the past. So I, initially, I just literally started doing some Google searches for things like target learning and goal learning. And it's surprising because like in the UK, we call it like target based learning um, for in terms of like a summative exam grade kind of thing. But in the United States and like other countries, they, they much prefer kind of a goal orientation learning approach. So like I was finding, I wasn't finding the research that was already there because I wasn't kind of using the appropriate phrases. But once I'd started to do so, I think almost the first like search I turned up in things like MetSearch, I turned up one of like my six pieces. And it's not like the first one I actually put in the assignment. It's, it's like the fifth one. But having just read it from the very beginning and the, like the introduction of it, it was very apparent that it was kind of really, it did link across in a way that I was absolutely surprised at how wonderful this piece of research from a different country in a different age range actually match kind of where we were going to. So there's something really important there about when you're going through that sort of initial research phase, you're looking for articles that might be relevant, about sort of considering alternative sort of words for the areas you're searching upon, because actually it might be different for different countries or a different focus. And uh, there's something about finding something specific to your research, but you might have to sort of dig around a little bit. Oh, yeah. I mean, actually, the six pieces I came up with, only a couple of them are really kind of in a UK school context. A lot of them were from other contexts, worldwide, different age ranges. Some weren't even in education. One of them is in like a healthcare setting, um, which is kind of surprising. I, I wasn't, so, yeah, I wasn't expecting it. So I started off with a very highly cited piece of research by 
Grant and Dweck. So it's Carol Dweck from Mindset kind of approach. We, we studied quite a lot at the very beginning of the course. And having even simply found this piece of research, which is all about how pupils decide what they want to achieve. Um, do they want to avoid doing badly in an exam? That's what they call a performance avoidance goal. They want to avoid appearing to do badly. Or do they want to achieve some kind of like positive goal, mastery over the material, perhaps even for the material's own sake? Do they want to just do well at this because they find it interesting and they want to excel in it rather than kind of what they get from it? And it's a, this is a very highly cited piece of research. It's like over a thousand citations, I think. It, it, it very heavily cited. And you could tell why from the beginning. It was very carefully structured. They'd done a lot of uh, statistical testing with pupils in order to attempt to unpick kind of these goals and these motivational goals. And the language actually was quite different from the language in other papers that I'd started to kind of read around. And it, it was kind of a bit difficult actually trying to translate some terms where they didn't seem to kind of be a direct correlation to, from one to the other. But overall, you kind of, I, it came out as like a big um, square. In one corner is our performance success goals, things like, I want to show I do well in the exam. Then there's the performance avoidance goals in a different corner. I want to show that I haven't done badly in the exam. And then there's ones which are more kind of about the actual learning itself. I want to learn this material because I think it's useful and beneficial for me in future. And then there's one corner, I, I want to not avoid learning this material. It's, a, it's a very bizarre. It's kind of like lots of double negatives. It's, it's quite difficult to kind of get a, you know, a handle around it in a framework. Um, but what was really interesting about this piece is that because they'd done these very careful statistical tests, although it had been with higher education pupils, so pupils in universities in America, and they'd even paid the pupils um, to take part in the survey. It was really interesting to see what turned up as important. So performance avoidance goals, not looking bad in exams. Pupils often cited this as what they wanted to do. They wanted to not fail effectively. But it was noted that over the long term, this didn't really correlate to good performance. And it's kind of because it's a negative approach. They're so worried about it. They aren't really putting the effort and the attention into what actually matters the quality of like the mastery of the material so that was one thing to take away definitely don't go down this avenue so when you're goal setting with pupils you want them to encourage to be positive this is where you're going to get to not i need you not to get like an f or something yeah. and then the other little tiny interesting bit of information that came across in this is there was no difference between things like gender girls and boys both have the same approach to goal setting so obviously when you take this then through to kind of like the research later on you're like, I can do this with the entire class. I don't have to tailor my approach for different groups of individuals. Mm. Um, because initially I was a bit worried that like, yeah, perhaps I'd have to, like the motivation internally for pupils might be completely different for different groups. And you might have to do the whole process differently for different individuals. There are some really key things, I think, that you've just mentioned about that process. You've, you've talked a little bit about transferability from research from different contexts, from different countries where education systems are, are quite different. You've also talked about sort of transferability from sort of different phases of professions, from healthcare to education. How did that impact on your view of that research? So you talked about sort of this, you've gone through this process of being, this process of being critical, um, and it sounds like you were drilling into the data and, and looking at the methods and the methodology and the approach to the research. How, how did you look at the quality of that research? 
it's difficult to judge the quality of quite a lot of research. I mean, you, they've got like statistical analysis, and this one was heavily statistical analysis. Quite a lot of the other pieces I looked at didn't really have any statistics. The second paper I looked at was literally almost kind of anecdotal. Um, it was anecdotal in a school setting, though, again in the United States, and again kind of across, it was across an entire school district. So they used the same process to set goals and learning objectives with like primary children in like kindergarten, they call it, up to like the equivalent of sixth form here. And what you just have to do is you have to, does the research seem internally inconsistent? Is it something like ethical? Um, you know, there's a full ethical checklist, check it off, make sure they do it. Do they seem to have included all the relevant detail? Do they highlight their own weaknesses of their research in the actual research itself? Do they, you know, qualify how far they can take something? Or are they trying to push it beyond what's possible? And so the initial paper by um, Grant and Dweck was incredibly full of, like, statistics. They'd reported statistics for almost everything. I mean, it was very kind of, like, heavily planned in this way. You know, they very carefully structured it where they tested all the assumptions they'd based their goals on. They tested to see if the goals were internally consistent. Did pupils recognise what the goals meant? Um, and all of those kind of aspects seemed kind of like very reassuring. You know, it was reassuring that they'd really been very heavily testing at every stage of the process. So you sort Did of, it work? You went through and you looked at those limitations and you drew them out and you, you talked about them within um, your assignment. Mm. Um, but it gave you a bit more confidence in perhaps, perhaps, perhaps the results that they found were you know, useful and specific to your piece of research that you were doing. You've mentioned this sort of like you've mentioned sort of like the statistical approach. I mean, presumably in other pieces of research, you, you said that, that they didn't use statistics. No. What it, did you think about quality for those? It's interesting. I mean, literally the second piece of research I looked at. It's an individual researcher. She went out to uh, an entire state, an entire school board. So I suppose it's equivalent for like a regional education consortium kind of size, and literally just anecdotally reported on everything they saw in terms of how well they felt these different settings took this common approach of goal setting, which was heavily structured with things like worksheets had been provided. And you know, they used the same worksheets with all different kinds of pupils in all different subjects. Um, the research was interesting. It has clear limitations. And I think the thing to do is just make it clear what those limitations are. But it did give a lot of perspective on the practicalities of doing stuff. This was less more, does it work? and more, how did these people go about it? Because I've, I, when I go back to my question, my question's about developing methods. It's not just really, does it work? Are these the best methods? It's, what are those methods? Mm -hmm. So I think the second one was almost more, it was looking at the method this group of sets of people had used, and when they correlated that with the performance that actually came out at the end. It wasn't necessarily you could prove that one caused the other. Mm -hmm. It was more, does this appear to have, having an impartial observer in watching it, does it improve engagement? Does it improve, you know, pupils' times on tasks? Do they feel more confident simply in conversations with them at going about what they were doing? You know, do they feel more knowledgeable about what they need to do? So there's something there about perceptions and, and perhaps understanding the how and the why as opposed to perhaps the what from the, from the quantitative approach to, to research. Yes. Very much so. Let's just move on for a second. Mm. What recommendations did you did you make following your research, and um, how did you find sort of presenting that back to your school and lead practice school? So the recommendations really came primarily from the third and I think the sixth 
papers I looked at. Um, the third one was this one in the healthcare setting. And I'd started looking at these goals and target settings, and I found quite quickly that even just from Googling, there were these kind of a common approach that was taken. And it's, they use this thing, the SMART framework. Ideally, you set a goal. Is the goal suitable for you know, a learner to implement in order to improve to a higher level? Is it specific? That's the S. Is it measurable? The M. Is it achievable? An A. Is it realistic? That's our R. And finally, is it time limited? Because the idea is you, you take, go through several rounds of this process. So you do need to kind of give them very clearly well-defined goals. And as a teacher, you need to provide opportunities for them to meet them. There's no point you giving them a wonderful objective and then you do solely written questions if they need to do like maths improvement. So it, this approach with kind of the smart framework of goal setting, this came up very heavily in like the third paper. And then when I looked into it more and more, I found that other people already did this. It wasn't just that I'd found it in an educational context. Even when I put in like smart goals framework into Google and like education Wales or secondary science, I started turning up links to things like BBC Bite Size. It turns out they use this smart goal framework in like GCSE PE in order to kind of like set kind of a goal target for their like performance improvement in like rugby or running or whatever kind of aspect it was. And this then got me really kind of hooked onto this idea. If they're using it in loads of different contexts, lots of people must think this actually works. Um, so I need to kind of base my approach around this kind of framework. And it's actually a bit complicated because this smart framework isn't particularly well-defined. You know, I gave some suggestions of what the letters stand for. Loads of authors completely disagree on what the letters stand for. Some of them add like, we need a smarter framework where they just added ER on the end and there's some more criteria. And then I think for my third um, piece of literature, people, they because we can't agree on what the letters are, we'll scrap that and we'll implement a different framework, power. And they say, yeah, I, I, a lot of it does feel driven by the letters, but say so they, they had slightly different aspects um, to kind of like emphasise different aspects. I mean, in both of them, things like, you know, realistic, power and the smart, you know, they come through. These are ones in shared, but they had slightly different emphasis on different parts of kind of like the goal setting and the framework. And that was really interesting to see kind of like in these different approaches, what was common, what wasn't. And I even found a suggestion about teacher improvement in schools from Welsh government. And they were like, schools should set write their own like smart framework guidelines for that, how a school improves. So by this point, I'm very much kind of like, this is the framework that everyone's using. They seem to have adopted it. They seem to know what they're doing. And it's brilliant. Pupils might even have heard about it in another subject. Yeah. I think that's very kind of helps kind of get them on board with this process. Because I mean, pupils do have a hard time self-reflecting. Um, you know, we have like regular dedicated improvement and reflection time dirt sessions in school in which, you know, learners write what went well, what even how it would be even better. You know, they work out where they at, what they need to do to make to the next level. And they kind of reflect on that. And so pupils are aware of the process, but I think they're still very much, particularly at kind of the year seven aspect. And although it, I think it comes through a lot more in the new curriculum than perhaps it did in the old one, they do feel a kind of a bit of a disconnect. It's like, why don't you just tell us sir, where we need to be rather than, you know, us kind of internally processing where we are in order to move on. But I think if you start early enough, they're willing to, you know, get on board with it. 
Sorry, yeah. No, no, I was going to say that nature of school, sort of like, they're looking for that external validation from the teacher. Oh, very much so. Um, and it's very hit and miss by like class. You know, you have some classes who, who very much are like, honestly, just tell us, our, you know, where we're at. And other classes who, who definitely are like, no, we, we want to look at it ourselves. Um, and it's quite powerful looking at it themselves. I think there's a lot to be gained from their own evaluation of their process. I mean, if nothing else, they have to kind of internalise the success criteria of a task and it kind of develops a better understanding of where they are. But these goals kind of framework had been established. And then I brought it back then to this, how they'd looked at it in this anecdotal one um, from the United States, my second piece. And in that one, they'd really kind of hammered home, these are the kind of appropriate amounts of time to spend on any kind of goal before reflecting on it. And I think they suggested like four to six weeks. So you might have like a big goal, improve your maths, with lots of sub-little goals in it. I'm going to learn how to rearrange formulae better or quicker, or I'm going to, you know, practice doing my graph drawing. Um, you'd have that. And then over this kind of like four to six week period, almost a half term, you know, that kind of, it naturally fits a bit. Or, you know, you could fit two in a term, perhaps if it's a long one. It kind of, you gave this opportunity, like this is this cycle process. This is how long it should last was what one of the journals came to. So although it didn't contribute necessarily the goal framework, it brought, this is how long it should be done. And then a fourth, I think it is the fourth one of my entries in my research, it was really interesting. They looked at pupils' own perceptions of where they are and how that relates to the performance. In other words, are more optimistic students about their performance, do they naturally do better simply because they're more optimistic? And the answer is yes. And basically, they did quite a lot, again, of statistical analysis. They looked at actual exam results, and then they'd previously assessed it based on like, their levels and assessed it against like, the levels of optimism that pupils had expected. And they found that pupils actually were really good judges of where they were, much more so than almost like teachers were. They seemed to be surprisingly accurate in most cases about what level they were working at. And if they were more optimistic, perhaps because they were hoping to go to university, you know, if they'd always been like funneled along this path to university, they had a strong background at home of, you know, this is what you're going to do. That kind of positive aspirational aspect fed into their optimism. And that kind of optimism led to like an increased drive for doing well. Um, and that then fed into my suggestions for like how we're going to implement this. We're going to implement this in a way where if yours like a borderline grade, you know, perhaps they're a C, perhaps they're a B. As a teacher, there's a lot of aspect pressure on you from like Estin or inspectors to ensure that you just, I think Ofsted in England have put quite a lot of pressure on stu students, not students, teachers to report the grade really accurately. You know, it has to be really reliable. This is definitely where they are. But actually this research suggested that reliability is important, but if you really are on the cusp of I'm not sure which one it will be. Be more optimistic, because being more optimistic drives into the pupils that they can do better, and that self-reinforces it into their own target setting. And it really helps. Were there any challenges, thinking about that focus, because we're thinking about targets here, mm. it sounds quite performative. So, I mean, we can be focusing towards what sounds like grades, and actually perhaps, you know, there's the aspect of perhaps missing learning. Mm. Um, what did you see in the research around that and how was it sort of avoided? Interestingly, the research didn't really discuss it hugely. 
perhaps it's because the UK is kind of a very high, it feels very high stakes, I think, for pupils. So there was a lot about target setting and level setting. And then a lot of the rest of the research came from area, like uh, countries abroad, um, Norway, the United States, other kind of settings where they didn't have such like a high stakes, or if they did, it didn't kind of feed in to kind of like every kind of lesson. There wasn't the same amount of pressure. So they've got these target settings. I, I eventually just suggested teachers take the official kind of responsibility for the target setting, but they consult with pupils. One thing you never do is you never go down. You always aim for a higher like target, or if it, you know, you're marginally on a kind of like grade boundary, it would be to really consolidate it at that grade boundary for the next one prior to a next cycle of reflection. Um, but in between, you have to come up with a list of these are the things you're going to do. And the teacher gives them to start off with. The pupils take more responsibility, you know, as they become more responsible for their own learning. And they naturally are more engaged in understanding how they're going to do it. I felt that you could then go more hands off. So while you were kind of overall responsible as a teacher for their target grade, they were more responsible for how they're going to get there. And this kind of semi kind of, they're more autonomous in how they're going to get there. I mean, they're very worried about their grades, but you could take that grade part away from them and concentrate them on just the learning. You're like, if you can do these things, hopefully the next time we do an assessment, you will move up to the grade you want to be. So the, the grade is a secondary focus and really this is a, uh, you've got sort of a, an overarching big target with sub-targets underneath which are about things that the, the learners must do or get involved in or must, must learn or actions they should take. And then it's about monitoring those actions that which might then hopefully lead to an improvement later on. So actually the learners aren't focusing specifically on, on the, the wider outcome of that grade, but they are focusing on achieving those steps towards progress. Yes, I, I think that's very much the case. It's often with this target setting, you know, teachers and staff in schools, they've got a responsibility to report things like grades. So there's like a lot of pressure on them to get the grades right. And therefore they do, you know, things like um, the Fisher Family Trust setting where you put in target information from um, key stage two, initial assessments from key stage three kind of assignments, like levels, all their background. And it produces this beautiful flight path profile that supposedly shows where they're going to be working in like two years time. Mm. There's all of that kind of data aspect to it, but that almost kind of misses the pupils kind of being center in it. The whole purpose of it isn't for you to report where they're at, so kind of for accountability, or it shouldn't be. Instead, it should be about improving their learning. Um, and you know, I found plenty of blogs and stuff online where you know, people were really bemoaning the fact that they were going through this whole target setting process and kind of like the pupils were almost kind of secondary to it. It was there wasn't like driving their learning wasn't the crucial part. So you kind of take that part of pressure off them. They have input into it and you link the input of the grade to the activities they're doing. And if they do it, hopefully then at the next time, they at least are slightly more confident at that grade. So there's a natural outcome and, and perhaps, again, if they're not perhaps hitting those sub-targets, there's way forward, there's next steps in terms of how to improve it. Oh yeah, and um, you can probably come up with like four or eight or even more goals at each one of these that will take them up to the next grade. And it encourages them to get out like the exam paper and see where they've lost the marks, see where they've gained the marks. Yeah. So what would you say your next steps, both as perhaps a teacher and as a researcher? 
I'm not sure you can separate teacher from researcher, actually. I think a lot of teachers probably do a lot of research without even knowing they're doing the research. They're constantly reflecting on their own practice. They're constantly refining it. They're constantly adjusting and changing it. Maybe not necessarily with a lot of access to the literature. Sometimes they're probably reinventing what's already in the literature. And they could have just had a quick look through it and gone, actually, this is what I should have been doing all along. But, you know, teachers talk to each other all the time. They're always discussing, you know, what they've seen. I've heard this is wonderful thing at a conference or on like some kind of continuing professional development day. They spread it throughout. So they're kind of constantly teaching and researching at the same time. Um, for me, in terms of research, there are several areas I left almost completely unaddressed, I feel a bit. I feel a bit bad about that. But in the assignment, there isn't a huge amount of you know, time and writing to kind of pick out each bit of it. Um, and I think quite a lot of these parts that kind of needed adjustments are things like, what happens if the process isn't working as you were initially hoping? You've got a learner, they come in and, you know, based on their data, you, you're pitching them almost like a G or an F. You go through the cycle of the process. They have made some progress at it, but it's not being reflected in their exams, like their mock exams or their tests. How do they then get to the next level if they're not showing progress? The process is really kind of self-spiralling. Once they get on this, like, stairway of progression, a kind of you know, spiral up of levels, I think it works pretty well. But what happens if they're not making progress almost like the first rung of this ladder on our first steps of our stairway? And that's something I've not like really looked into in a lot of detail. And then you've got this exact problem at the opposite end. What happens if they arrive at, you know, A to A star? You give them more learning goals, but they haven't got any more levels to kind of like progress at. They're already working at a really high level. Do you just keep giving them more learning goals, even though you can't like kind of show the progression in terms of the grade? Probably, but... You know, does that become disheartening for them over a long period? These are aspects that, you know, I'd like to explore in more detail. Are they, you know, things we can do? Are there alternatives to this method? Should we be adjusting it and refining it with these groups? You know, should we be tailoring it to these groups? And, you know, I'm sure there's literature out there that I just haven't seen for it. And then as a teacher, I'd suggest this method could be done almost on your own. I don't think it requires like the backup of a department. So long as they kind of like agree to you spending like the additional hour or so, not of direct kind of teaching time, I think you could do it effectively yourself, almost like as a pilot project. It doesn't require a lot of money. It doesn't require like a lot of resources, just some worksheets perhaps. Maybe you make a little poster for the wall. If you're, these are our targets. Initially when you start off and they've all got the very kind of same kind of goals to which they're working through. So you can kind of show everyone in the room, they're all progressing. They're all moving up at these levels, at least initially, before they take more responsibility for it, as you phase out the scaffolding. I think that's kind of like a, an interesting start to it. And I think, you know, as a teacher, I'd like to try doing it with some classes. You know, I, I mean, I came up with it based on the research. I've not really implemented it. Mm. And I'd like to give it a go and just see if it works. And if it doesn't, adjust it, reflect it, go back to the research and see what it says. Absolutely. So those next steps are really important. Now implementing it and thinking about that trial and error, you know, working out what works for some learners and, and might not work for others, and then sort of going through that process of adaptation in that inquiry cycle. Oh, very much so. I think when I started it, I wasn't convinced by the process. I wasn't convinced that it would work, and I wasn't convinced it was necessarily the best use of time. But having gone through the research and seen that, it, you know, these things do work, yeah, I'm much more convinced. You know, I want to give it a go. I'm very enthused about the process. 
Um, and I felt, you know, I felt it's been really useful kind of learning opportunity to see kind of in like big detail, you know, we re dive into the data, these actual strategies that appear to work. You know, these are strategies that I could now try out. I'm going to give them a go. And fingers crossed, they'll be of some use. Absolutely. And if not, I'll refine it. Yeah, I think there's something really important there about trying out because we can't always ensure that if we transfer something from different contexts that it will have an impact and every learner is different, but it's the trying and then refining that is really important, I think. Oh yeah, I think so. I think it's really, I'm going to be doing this for like a number of years now, hopefully, because uh, I think they'll probably get sick of it if I keep <laughs> doing it. But yeah, I'm going to give it a go and see what happens. Well, that's great. Thank you so much, Roderick. It's been absolutely fascinating. Oh, thank you. It's really nice for you to have me. No worries. Thank you. Thank you. PGCE Research Bites comes from the team behind Emma and Tom Talk Teaching and is presented this week by Dr. James Snook. It showcases the best student-teacher research from the Cardiff Partnership for Initial Teacher Education. Thanks to Dr. Rodri Lewis from PGCE Secondary Biology with Science who joined us today to share his research. Podcast artwork is by Beth Blandford and the music is by Cameron Stewart. We'll be back with a regular episode next week and we'll have more Research Bites for you soon.